this time I would like to introduce our speaker. Speaker is from Ainsworth. He was a pastor there for 12 years. And uh, I'll, I'll let him tell you, he actually was in our Sunday school class this morning, told about what, basically, but what he's been doing the last year, which I think is pretty unique. He's got a question for everybody that, that uh, he has answered himself, I guess, throughout this last year. And so with that, I'd, I'd introduce Mick Thornton, former pastor of the Efree Church in Ainsworth. Come forward. Thanks, Jerry. Morning. So you guys get to worship like that, like every week here? Is that how that works? So I assume Jim never leaves without somebody giving him a hug. Is that right, too? I hope so, because that's a, that's a blessing to be able to be led in worship by a worshiper. That's a cool thing. Uh, how many of you guys from out of town? Anybody drive here? Did you drive down to Broken Bow, up to Broken Bow, or over to Broken Bow? All three? Okay. <laughs> that's kind of how it works, right? Uh, I'm from Ainsworth, so I drove down Broken Bow, because that's how we do it, right? Like, if we were all to leave today, we drive, we drive up to South Dakota, we drive down to Kansas. There's a place, however... Uh, here on planet earth that doesn't work that way, uh, that whichever direction you're coming from, you always go up to this place, and that place is Jerusalem. It's really interesting. Um, so, so the nation of, of Israel exists at this really fascinating place geographically in, in the world. So, so what you have is, is, is this huge chunk of water that stretches basically from Israel all the way to Boston. Part of it's the Atlantic Ocean, part of it's the Mediterranean Sea, right? And, and, and from Israel, you've got two entire continents uh, to, to the north. You've got, you've got Europe and Asia up there, and then the continent of Africa to the south. And then, and then beside it, there's this massive desert that nobody wants to cross, right? Uh, so what that means is that throughout history, anytime anybody historically has pretty much wanted to go anywhere, the way you go is you go through Israel right? Um, super fascinating place. And, and, uh, and the capital city of Israel is Jerusalem. It's up on this little mountain. We'd probably call it a hill, but let's not mince words, right? Um, and, but, but whichever direction you're coming from, you always go up. You always go up to, uh, to Jerusalem. And the reason is because Jerusalem is a very special place, right? It's the place where, where God's temple was it's the place where so much of biblical history right this stuff that we talk about like actually happened in israel all centered around this place that we call jerusalem and it was such a special place that god actually gave his people specific songs to sing in worship as they went there right they're called psalms of ascent because you're going up right to uh to jerusalem and we're going to look at one of those today we're going to look at psalm 121 um it's super fascinating to me. It starts off and it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? So the uh, nation of Israel is, a, is, is kind of like a rocky, hilly sort of territory, right? I'm, I'm from the sand hills. Like, you can't find a rock where I live. Lots of rocks in, in Israel. But, but the thing is, if you're on foot, right, and it's, and it's say, 2,500 years ago, and you're making a trip through Israel, the thing that you notice when you're on foot is you can't see very far, Right? Like, I grew up largely in western Kansas. Like, you can practically see the back of your own head from western Kansas. Like, you just look off into the distance, you see everything forever, right? Um, Israel's not like that, right? It's like this hilly, hilly, complex kind of place. And what happens is you're looking around, and you can't see very far, and you don't know what's coming. 
So I want you to think about this. Israel, special place, right? Kind of chosen by God. All this amazing stuff has happened there. And the thing that happens to you when you're singing the worship song on the way is you get nervous. <laughs> like the very next thought in the song is where does my help come from? Because what you don't know is you don't know what's over the, that next hill. Like you don't know what's coming at all, right? And the thing that you're expecting is actually a bad thing. And that's super interesting to me, right? Because here's my thought, right? I have this, uh, this uh, I'm kind of an optimist, right? It doesn't serve me well most of the time, but I go for it anyway. Um, and, and, and my thought goes like this, right? Like God, God wants his people to be safe. That's logical, right? I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. You know how many times Jerusalem has been conquered and reconquered? As of today, 44, right? So here's my question. So if God wants his people to be safe, and he's in charge of the whole story, and this is important because it's not just a historical question, it's a right now question. If God wants his people to be safe, and he's in charge of the whole story, he gets to pick where you're at, he gets to pick when you're at, all that kind of cool stuff, right? So why is it that God didn't raise up this guy Abram in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, instead of bringing him over and down to Israel, why doesn't he take him up, like through, I don't know, say Russia, part the Bering Sea, and plant his people somewhere in central Canada? Because you know what happens in central Canada? Nothing, like ever in history, has ever happened in central Canada, right? You know how many people get conquered in central Canada? Like nobody, right? Like when, when, when the Egyptian pharaohs rise up from the south and want to conquer the world, you know where they don't go through? Canada, right? Like when the Assyrians and the Babylonians rise up in history and it's their time to be large and in charge, guess where they never get to? Canada, right? When the Greeks rise up, when the, Italian, when the Romans rise up, right? Nobody gets to Canada. You know where everybody gets to? Israel. Jerusalem, because it's right in the middle of everything. It's like everything that has ever happened has happened right around there. So here's the question. If God wants you to be safe, why does he put his people in like the most dangerous place on the planet? And for me, it's, it's not just a historical question, right? So I'm, I'm a pastor. I do this, or I guess I should say I did this. Um, for a long time, right? And here's kind of my, my deal. So I did this, and I was good at it. So I got to do it for quite a while, and I could have kept doing it for a really long time. And, and, and I'm standing on a stage a lot like this one, uh, not super long ago in my life, about two Octobers ago. And I'm preaching a sermon, because that's what I do on stages like this, right? And, um, and, I, and I'm praying at the end of that sermon, and it was a... <laughs> brutal passage of uh, Amos chapter 4. It's like this brutal passage of God's judgment. And I was preaching one passage out of every single book of the Bible. So that's where we were at. And I preach and I pray. And at the end of the sermon, I pray and I say, God, show us the things in our lives that we need to surrender to you. And I'm telling you in that moment, God spoke to me. And I don't use that phrase really ever hardly, so I definitely don't use it lightly. In that moment, God spoke to me, and here's what he said. He said, surrender this church. And I'm like, um, A, I really meant them, right? <laughs> like, what did they need to surrender to you? 
and B, like, dude, this is what I do. Like, this is who I am. This, is, this, isn't, like, this isn't just kind of like my weekend gig. Like, my whole life is, is, is sort of built around this. I live where I live because of this. I, I have the degrees that I have because of this. Like, and, and the truth is, it was really safe. <laughs> like, I could have kept doing that forever, right? And it all would have been okay. And um, so I did. I did. I, uh, uh, not too many months later, um, I preached my last sermon out of the last book of the Bible, last chapter of the last book of the Bible, and I walked away. And it was really scary. Um, because here's what didn't happen, right? Because how this works in my world is like when it's time to go, like you make the right kind of phone calls to the right kind of people and you kind of slide away for a couple weeks on vacation or whatever when, you know, what you're actually doing is kind of guest speaking at another church and getting your next gig lined out and all that stuff. And then Sunday comes around and you're like, hey, I love you because I do, right? And it's time for me to go because it is and this is what I'm going to be doing, right? That's kind of how it's supposed to work in my world. And every time I even started to think in that direction, it was just super yucky. <laughs> like, it was just wrong, and I knew it, and I couldn't go through with it. So here's what I actually did. What I actually did is I walked away from something and walked into the nothing. <laughs> I had some ideas. Like, I wrote a book. It's, it's out there. You can, you can get one if you want. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a radio show that I do, but essentially I walk from something into nothing. And isn't that weird if God wants his people to be safe? That he would sometimes take those things that are precious to us, sometimes take those things that we feel absolutely at home in and really good about. And he would say, you know what, you need to surrender that. How weird is it that God doesn't put his his chosen covenant people in Canada where nothing bad would ever happen to them, except they would probably become hockey fans, and you know you can't really avoid that. Instead, he puts them in the middle of everything where everything is historically scary and dangerous, and he gives them these songs of worship to sing as they come to meet with him. And the first line of the first song says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, which as it turns out is an act of courage. Right? To have enough honesty in your life to be able to stare into the face of your own problems and into the face of the things that you do not know. And it brings up this very natural question, where, like from where does my help come? Let's just say that the thing over that hill is a bad one. Let's just say that, that, that the next step doesn't work out for me. Let's just say that there's nothing over there. Like that, there's not a McDonald's over there and I'm hungry right? Who's going to take care of me? Like, where does my help come from? Or from where does my help come in the ESV? (laughs) Here's the thing about us, I think, and I think this is really important. We love to be safe, right? Don't you like to be safe? And here's what safety means for me, anyway. Safety means I never have to be honest about the first of those, and I never have to get to that second question. And safety means if I do ever get to that that question, from where does my help come, then I have like 40 pages worth of answers. 
That's what safety looks like, and that's exactly how we try to build our lives, right? We build lives where we know what's happening, we know where we are, we know who we are, we know how this thing is supposed to go, and then we try to make that happen, and we make certain, right, whether it be with insurance or bank accounts or social connections or all those things that, that, that and none of them are inherently bad, right, that we use and kind of surround and we covet and we surround ourselves with, right? We use those to make sure that if the, if the question ever arises, where or from where does my help come, we got a long list of answers, right? <laughs> Like, if this doesn't work out, we'll go to this. If this doesn't work out, we'll go to this. If the problem's too big, we'll add this one to that one. Bottom line being, it is all going to be okay. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. Because it turns out that no matter how definitively you cultivate your life and how definitively you cultivate your list, sometimes that's not how it goes. And much more importantly, sometimes that's not what God has for you. And yet that's how this song starts, this song of a faithful person doing a faithful thing. They're going up to meet with God. I lift up my eyes to the hills, this unknown, and they have to ask this question, from where does my help come? And they make this beautiful declaration. Verse 2 says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And isn't that kind of an ultimate and awesome answer to the question? Like, I want you to think just for a second. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud so you can be honest. I want you to think just for a second about a real problem in your life. Right? And now answer this for yourself. Does that question come from either heaven or earth? (laughs) Yeah, right? It sort of does. Everything sort of does, right? So the fact that this God right? This God in heaven, this Lord of all creation is the maker of everything, means he's the ultimate answer, right? It's this acknowledgement of a problem, right? That there's stuff in life that you don't know what to do with. It's this really important question that when you get to that place, from where does your help come? And it's a beautiful answer, right? That ultimately, at the end of the day, there's really only one answer to that question, regardless of how full we try to, we try to pile our, our lives with sort of other answers. That there's only the Lord, because only He is the maker of heaven and earth. And from here, something happens that is one of the reasons that this is my favorite psalm, or very near it. And it goes like this. If you are singing this song in its kind of traditional sense, right? You are ascending up to Jerusalem. You're singing the song. You don't get to sing another word. Because what happens from this point is somebody else comes in and sings to you and with you. Isn't that cool? So at this point, it's all about me, right? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, right? Me, me, me. It's first person talking. But check this out. Now somebody else has to come in, and here's what they do. They tell you how smart you are to make the choice that you made. Starting in verse 3, what does it say? It says, he, right, somebody else, not you, talking about God to you. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Right? 24-7, he is on your case to take care of you exactly where you're at. 
And I ask you, have you ever felt unsafe? Have you ever had that moment in your life where you're not quite sure how this is going to go? You're not quite sure how this is supposed to go? Because if you have, there's something that can actually make that moment worse, and that thing is isolation. If you don't have people to be there for you, right? How beautiful that written into this song from God is your friend, is that person who gets you, who gets your need, who gets your problem, and most importantly, who gets God, and who can come around behind you and be there to play that role of encouragement and caring for you. They go on to talk about this God, and this is what they say, verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. If you're an underliner kind of Bible study or person, keeper is the word you circle here because then you're going to keep underlining as the versions of it keep showing up, right? The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand, right? So he's protecting you and not from like a distance. He's like right here. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night, right? And this is not, this is not just like flowery language, Right? This comes from a real place with real, hill, real hills. It was really dangerous. And one of the things that was really dangerous is just the weather, right? That God is taking care of you even on that scale. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I have a question for you. And the question is, do you believe this? You know? Do you believe this? Because here's what we say, right? It's a church. Here's what we say. We say, absolutely, we believe this, right? I mean, periodically, you probably sing some version of this song or other, right? Here's my question, though. If you believe this, why is your list of other things to take care of you so very long? You know? For a couple of years now, there's been this question just kind of echoing periodically through my head, and it goes like this. So let's say it's all true. Like, let's say that this is real deal stuff, because I believe that. Let's say that God literally spoke the universe into existence, right? Let's say that when we, who are his creation, like he makes us in his image, and the way we, we sort of thank him for that is by thumbing our nose, turning our backs, and walking into lives that are detestable to him. Detestable. That's not a thing people, you want people to think about you, right? We do that, and his response to us is to be so overwhelmed with love and mercy and grace and care and concern for his beloved creation, the only thing he made that's in his image, that he sends his son Jesus to come to earth, die for our sins, raise from his grave so that we can trust him and be free. Let's say it's all true. Let's say Jesus actually walked on some water that some of your people have seen in the last week, right? Let's say it all happened, it's for real. If Jesus is Jesus, this is the question, if Jesus is Jesus, who should you be? And it's really that simple, except it's not. Because to some degree, a lot of people want to say, want to kind of have that answer. It's sort of part of our life, right? Part of our, part of our question, part of the thing that drives us. What we do, though, is we add all these clauses, right? These of course clauses. Like, well, of course it's calving season, so I've got to be on the ranch, 
You know, of course, we've got to be planting some corn soon. Of course, there's an economic downturn. Of course, I've got to feed my kids. Of course, this, of course, that. All sorts of very important of courses, right? And then one day we look back on our lives, and our lives are built around all of our of courses. And the question, if Jesus is Jesus, who should you be? Maybe just never seems to get quite answered. And isn't that fascinating that we would spend our lives in our of courses when, as it turns out, if the story is true, if Jesus is Jesus, there is nothing that compares to that. Like there's not another thing on your list that somehow qualifies as an of course clause to tack on to that question, right? There's only him because he is the one and only. He is high and lifted up. He is, he is the Lord of all creation who has come, died for our sins, risen from his grave, right? The Lord who sent his spirit to be in us and among us. Like he's all of it. He's the whole thing. And yet, when it comes time for us to check out our hills and wonder where our help comes from, we got this long list. And we cultivate our lists and we love our lists and we hang on to them for all they're worth. And having recently walked away from mine, I can tell you why we do that. Because it's hard. It is a hard, hard thing to choose to accept the truth that Jesus is everything that matters. That in this one answer to this one question, all of life can be found. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Because let's be honest, right? If we write this song about us today, this list is pages and pages long. All of a sudden, it's Psalm 119. It's like, you know, huge chunk of space. Because we're like, well, my help comes from the Lord. And also, and also, and well, also, there's this person. And obviously, I would call my mom and whatever other thing, right? What if this is it? What if truly, truly, truly God is enough? What if you need nothing else? And what if anything that you hang on to apart from him is something that ultimately pulls you away from him? I think that's a life-changing question. And here's what I think, right? I think the reason why this whole story didn't, uh, didn't play out in Saskatchewan somewhere, right? Where no Babylonians were involved, where no Philistines kind of get good at the sea trade and end up kind of encroaching into the land and beating up the Israelites, where none of that happens because that kind of thing doesn't happen in Saskatchewan. I think the reason why is because there might be something that God is more interested in than your own safety even. He's more interested in you knowing where your help comes from. He's more interested in you knowing who he is and what that means, and not just who he is in general and what that means in general, but who he is to you and what that means for you. Like right here, right now, forever. 
I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know? I like, uh, I'm kind of a structural thinker. I sort of like to understand the parts and pieces, like how things sort of fit, right? And it helps me when I can see a problem or be thinking about a thing and say, well, here's the problem. This thing is supposed to be a part of it, but it's supposed to be over here, not over here, right? That, that works well for my head. Or it used to until I realized that a huge number of the parts and pieces that are absolutely supposed to be in my life are sort of chronically misplaced. And I wonder if that might be true of somebody other than just me in this room today. I wonder if you might be a people of blessing. I wonder if you may be overwhelmed with good things. And I wonder if maybe some of those good things have become so significant to you that you would not trade them for anything. And when I say for anything, I mean it. Like that you would literally walk in unfaithfulness before you would walk somewhere else. And I think that's kind of a scary thought. But here's what I can tell you. For me, and I believe it's true, I can tell you that Jesus is worth your everything. Because this whole deal, it really is true. <laughs> this Jesus guy that we talk about, he is he's unparalleled because in Jesus we see something that makes no sense, right? We see God, who is, who is apart from everything, become a part of his creation in a person. Right? God in human form. And we see Jesus show up on the scene, not demanding that we build him some sort of altar and worship him and provide for all his needs. We see him show up on the scene, like on the low end of the scale, as a servant, flipping the whole thing on its head. We see him say things that nobody else is saying, right? Saying, if you really want to get me, what you need to do, you need to become like a child, like the lowest thing in the culture at that time, right? That if you want to be the greatest, you become the least, these kind of things. And then he dies, right? Not because he had to, because he chose to, to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. So all that stuff that had been happening on that special hill in Jerusalem for generations and generations and generations, all of a sudden, it's completed, it's fulfilled, it's finished in a way that is eternal. So that you and me and whoever, where we can just walk with Jesus, we can trust him and be free, and we can truly, in this moment, like 2,000 years later, in our place, in our time, in our security, and in our fear, we can resolve and choose to believe that he is everything he said he was, and then we can take every single part of our lives and put it in the only place that it can rightfully belong which is either under him or away from us. And isn't that a beautiful simplicity? 
And as we do that, we get this gift, right, that we can play this second part. That we can do that for somebody else. Here's what I want you to do. I haven't done this for a while, so I actually have no idea how long I've been talking. Like, it could have been an hour, it could have been a day, it could have been five minutes. So, but here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to take either on your bulletin or on your phone or somewhere, I just want you to make three lines like you're making a list. Okay? While you're making your three lines, there's a card in your bulletin. Like if you want to sign up for my email list and that sort of thing, you can just fill it out and put it in that basket back there by the books. Okay. Third line. The bottom line. Here's what I want you to write on the bottom line. I want you to write the name of a person that you would like to play the second part of this psalm in their lives. A person who you would like to come alongside of and be that encourager. A person who you can remind about the greatness of God and the glory of knowing him and how in him you are going to be okay. No matter what's over the hill. Does that make sense? Okay. The second line, so the middle line, I want you to write the name of a person who you need to play that role in your life. And this is where it starts to get a little more difficult. Because <laughs> I just use the words you and need in the same sentence, right? I want you to write the name of a person who you can honestly say, you know what, if this person could walk with me in this, if this person could encourage me, if this person could be here for me right now, Man, that would matter. That would be such an encouragement to me to know I'm not alone, to have this person being, that, being the one who reminds me of how great God is and how it is a wise thing to choose to surrender to and follow him. Okay? And don't worry, nobody's looking at your sheet. I'm not, anyway. I can't vouch for your neighbor. Okay, top line. I want you to write your name. Because this whole song and really so much of you and the person you're going to be and especially the connection that you're going to have with God, it starts with you. Right? Now some of us are, some of us have sort of a blessed story. Like we grow up in the church and, 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 and faith in Jesus is just kind of like handed to us, right? And we just sort of take it and and roll with it or don't or whatever, right? But ultimately there comes this moment, even if that's your story, where you're the one who has to make the choice. You're the one who has to decide who it is that you're going to live for, and you are the one who has to respond to all that stuff that comes flying at you in your life, right? The good stuff, the bad stuff, the scary stuff, and in my opinion, the worst of all, the stuff you just can't see. You know it's out there, and you don't know what it is. Right? And for that person, I want you to ask that person, where does your help come from? Truly. Like, not just the sort of one-sentence answer, I want you to have some coffee with yourself, or however you do it. 
and ask yourself that question. Truly, where does your help come from? Based on the decisions you make, based on the things you value, based on the things you don't. Where does your help come from? And I would ask you, having had that conversation with you, to make a decision. And the decision goes like this. I would ask you to choose if Jesus is enough. Right? Not just choose if Jesus is great. Not just choose if there are some really great songs about Jesus that we like to sing together. I would ask you to choose if Jesus is enough. If he being who he is, is so true and so transformational that after you establish him as your hope, you have no need for anything on the rest of the page. And here's my hope. My hope is that you say yes. Right? If you've walked with Jesus for decades, my hope is that you say yes in a new way and that God will use this time in your life to reveal things to you that are maybe out of place that he can reorder for you. More than that, because don't get me wrong, if you're, if you're one of the Jesus people, I love you, I do. <laughs> you're just not where my heart is at the end of the day. Um, let's just say this isn't your deal. And you're here because you're supposed to be here, because somebody brought you here, because your parents bring you here, whatever your thing is. But you know, right? You know, or you at least suspect and worry that maybe whatever this thing is, it's not actually your thing. I would ask you right now to just pick. Because really, this thing we talk about, this faith, this belief, this salvation, right? That, that on your end, maybe, maybe a better word is just choice. I would ask you right now in your real life to make a choice and to choose this specifically. I would ask you to choose to accept a few things that are really important. Number one is that you got problems. <laughs> maybe that's not hard for you to figure out, <laughs> but it's important. Things aren't okay. Like, you're not okay. It's not going to be okay. No amount of trying to fix that is going to change anything ultimately. It's not okay, right? I mean, the biblical word for not okayness is sin, and it's a really good one, <laughs> right? And you got it. You do. Number two, I would ask you to recognize that there's a solution and his name is Jesus, right? Because Jesus ain't no program. He's not a concept. He's not a philosophy. He's not an ideal. He's a person. And because he is a person, he was able to experience what you experience. And because he's God, he was able to offer himself as this ultimate sacrifice to die for you so you could be free. And number three, I just want you to say yes. Not to me, right? Because basically as soon as lunch is over, I'm out of here, right? 
I want you to say yes to Jesus. Because here's the thing that you need to know. That when Jesus looks at you, he sees somebody worth dying for. He sees somebody who is worth the whole story. He sees you in the worst of your worst. He sees you, and he sees you as worth dying for. And my hope is that you see him worth living for. Let's pray. Jesus, you are magnificent. Sometimes this thing that we call life is just complicated. Like we, we hear about you and we sing songs about you and we talk about you, but so much of our life just sort of seems pretty far from you. Maybe far from you and we know it, or maybe just disconnected from you because we're just so busy with other things. And whatever it is, Lord, I pray that right now in this moment that you in your spirit would move in this room and in our lives and that you would bring us into absolute clarity and absolute focus. That you would reveal yourself and make yourself known as the center of everything. That you would give us the courage to surrender to you completely. For those of us who know you, Lord, give us the courage to know nothing else. And for anybody here who's not there yet, I just pray this can be their moment. That somebody can honestly say to you in their heart, Lord Jesus, I do not get all of this. But I understand that I am a sinner. And I understand that you are the Savior. So right now I'm asking you to save me. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that your answer to that question is always yes. Help us to worship you now like you deserve. Amen.